Mother's Day, it happens every year right on time, a day when we honor our moms for their unfailing love and their tireless efforts and their sacrifices on our behalf. And so it's a day to say thank you. Normally, we go verse by verse through the scriptures, and on special days, we like to take a break from that routine. Somebody suggested to me, hey, why don't you, for Mother's Day, just walk through one of your favorite psalms? And it just so happened that I had read a psalm that morning that really touched my heart. I nominated it for my all-time favorite psalm, as I like to do. Uh, when my heart gets touched, it's Psalm 130. There's only eight verses. It's short and sweet and to the point, just like my sermons, not really short. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully sweet and to the point, but not always short. But yeah, so we've got Psalm 130 is a psalm for mom, but it's a psalm for dad too. It's a psalm for all God's people who want to go from despair to delight, from pain to praising God. And just a few short verses, it's really wonderful. It has a universal appeal because it starts in the depths and ends in the heights. It begins with despair and ends in delight. And so uh, surely this psalm is a treasure chest of great comfort to anyone who is in despair. And so uh, it it's a perfectly fits uh, for such a time as this. Amen. And so a psalm to encourage our hearts during a stressful time. So are you ready to go on a socially distant but spiritually intimate walk through Psalm 130 together? A psalm that's been entitled... Uh, Worth the wait, worth the wait indeed. Starting at verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are to be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will, will redeem Israel from all their sins. Just a delightful psalm. And I'm not alone in my newfound love of number 130. Uh, come to find out in studying that a lot of famous theologians and men of God in the past 
have uh, called Psalm 130 their favorite. John Calvin called it his favorite psalm. He's the great Protestant reformer of the 1500s, a wonderful theologian. Uh, Augustine, the church father, who is very famous uh, theologian as well, he singled out the psalm as one that always would touch his heart, his go-to psalm for feeling better when he was feeling low. And John Wesley, the father of the Methodist uh, um, church, um, by the way, the, why they're named Methodists, they were named uh, Methodists because of their method. They would get up in the morning and read their Bible and pray, and they would do it every day. That was their method. And so would to God that we would all be Methodists. <laughs> Amen? And so, yeah, John Wesley credited this psalm, a line from the psalm about how God forgives our sins. Uh, he heard a London choir singing, and it brought him to his knees in surrender. And so, yes, uh, a lot of people love this psalm, and for good reason, and I'll tell you why. It's an Old Testament psalm, but it's a song of the gospel, you know? And uh, it sings about faith alone and grace alone in a world and in an Old Testament environment where really the commandments and the covenant were in stone for peoples whose hearts were of stone as well. But the Old Testament promised a new covenant and a new spirit and a new heart was coming. And so this psalm is just a little ray of uh, sunshine that just kind of sings of the grace to come. And that's why we love it so much, because we need grace so very desperately. So we love mercy. And so this psalm divides quite nicely uh, into four little parts, uh, two verses each. Um, and there, it's brought to you by the letter W. And I don't know why, but my mind always does that. Now, verses 1 and 2, weeping. We start with weeping. There's a lot to cry about in this life. And that's where we start. And then verses 3 and 4, we go to wondering. And so the psalmist is wondering about his terrible plight, being besieged by all of this sin and how he could find a way out through forgiveness. And then we go to verses 5 and 6 to waiting. He realizes that redemption is a process and he's okay with waiting on the Lord to work out that salvation as Philippians 2 calls it. And so we end up with worship. And he is going to lift up his eyes heavenward and start praising the Lord for his unfailing love. And so what's really great is he starts out feeling sorry for himself in the depths of despair, but he winds up encouraging other people who might be in despair to follow him out of despair through faith and trust and to rehearse the promises of God in our hearts and minds. And it just lifts us to a better place. And so, yes, weeping, wondering, waiting, and worshiping, kind of the story of our lives. And so let's dive in in verses 1 and 2 and see what he was crying about, all right, right there in the beginning. Uh, verses 1 and 2, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And so, yeah, so like Jonah, 
He is in the belly of the big fish, and he's hit rock bottom. And so weeping. There's a lot of reasons that we get ourselves into the depths of despair. It wasn't always the case because God created. He looked upon his creation and he said, very good. And so you know the story. Well, you know, I, I remember, and I've told you this before, of a terrifying incident that happened in the East Bay. It had been raining a lot. A dad and his 10-year-old son were on their front lawn, and they're kicking a ball around. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the earth gave way into a gigantic sinkhole, and the little boy tumbled headlong into the hole, 25 feet down. He was at the bottom, looking up at his father, calling for help. And so I always imagine that um, image in my head when I think of the great fall uh, of man in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 there where we walked with our father, right? Adam walked with God in the cool of the day and then suddenly, and not because of rain, but because of sin, the Lord had told him, everything's good, Show me your love, express your free will in this. Don't eat from this tree. The day you do, you will surely die. And he did, and we died. And the sinkhole opened up, and down went Adam and Eve, looking up at the Father, calling out for help. And there, kind of the, the depth of despair and the many <laughs> pits to follow uh, that is the cause of why we get ourselves down in the depths of despair. Uh, and so we cry out, right? Depths of despair come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Uh, we have the, uh, the psalmist have already been crying out to God in several psalms before this. Uh, Crying out from the miry depths of despair, uh, chapter, uh, I mean, uh, Psalm 69, I should say, and depths of the earth, calling out from the depths of the earth, Psalm 71, calling out from the depths of the grave, Psalm 86, calling out from the depths of the sea, the picture of just feeling overwhelmed and drowning in desperation there, Psalm 107. Psalm 139 says, in this life, we must on occasion make our, our bed in the depths there. And so, yeah, what is that? Money, troubles, or sickness, or confusion, heartaches, disappointments, loneliness, fears, and pressures. Which ones have I left out in your life? Go ahead. I mean, there are just so many reasons why we get into despair. But the good news is right there in the verse, we have someone to call to. The Lord said, I've got good news for you. I don't leave you as orphans. We have a father. The spirit of our father lives in our hearts. And he says, we're not slaves again to fear, but we have the spirit that makes us his sons and daughters, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And so we're not alone True, we have some moments of despair, but we're not alone. And in your verse, verse 2, he's already saying he hears our voices. He's attentive to our cries. It's put in a question 
uh, there in your text, but really in the Hebrew, it's more of an affirmation. I know this is the way you are. And so in Hebrew, actually, when he says, I will make my bed in the depths, really, I mean, it's pretty low because the word there is Sheol or Hades. Uh, King James might even have hell. It was the place of departed spirits. Spirits who have died would descend to this place of Sheol. But then the psalmist says, but even then, even there, your hand will guide me. Even there, your right hand will hold me fast or firm. And so one writer said, there's no depth too low beyond the listening ear of our God. This is what verse 2 is saying, beyond his strong and ready arm to save. One writer pointed out this. He says, notice that it's more a joy to this man's heart that he has heard that God is listening to his prayer rather than praising for the answer. So he says, if the Lord promised to answer all of our requests as we saw fit, it might be rather a curse than a blessing. And so here's the blessing already in Psalm uh, 130 verses 1 and 2. The blessing is he hears us, he listens to us, and he saves us with his good wisdom and in our best interest. Amen. And so, yeah, uh, there's no depth too low. There's another theologian who put it this way. I don't know if you've heard of her, Diana Ross. And she sang this song, uh, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wild enough to keep me from getting to you. And that is sound biblical theology if you have faith if you've cried out to the lord if you put your hope in his word whosoever believes overcomes the world and i think that song really catches that uh, nuance there and so watch what the broken-hearted brother is asking for in a humble plea he's asking for uh, mercy and that word presupposes so much Right, and so he's saying, he's saying, he's showing us our proper relationship with God. When you ask God for mercy, you come to him like you're drowning, you have nothing to offer yourself, you can't contribute. If you're in the depths of despair, one psalm says, I'm in the depths of despair without a foothold, and just sliding down, I'm stuck, I can't get out. God, I need your mercy to get out. And so the word mercy just kind of uh, shows the master-servant relationship that this guy knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He doesn't have his own strength or he has nothing to commend himself to the Lord about. You know, he's, he's considering his fallen situation where he's going to say, I, I mean, because of my sins, right? Because of my sins, and so uh, some Christians out there, and there's an entire movement, uh, really, that swept the earth with a, a whole bunch of nonsense that has God existing to meet our needs, to make us happy. We just clap and have the servant come and tell him what we need, right? No more suffering, just only blessing. And so it's just the opposite. We exist to serve him and to bring pleasure to him. And by serving God and obeying him, we find our greatest fulfillment, contentment, and pleasure. And so 
Yeah, the idea in the world sometimes is we're entitled because we're believers, right? This guy's just asking for mercy. You see it in your text. You know, there was a guy that I was talking to, uh, an acquaintance of mine doesn't go to our church or anything, and uh, he travels all the world, all over the world for business. And I asked him where he, uh, what place on earth was his absolute favorite place. And he thought a minute and he said, you know, my backyard. And I thought, oh, that's, that's neat. He has a nice house. And as he talked about his French doors opening up, a cup of coffee and taking in the beautiful panoramic view. And uh, then I said, isn't it so awesome that God treats us better than we deserve? And he said, what do you mean? I deserve that. I work really hard. That's not how I think about God. He said, I'm, I'm a king's kid. I mean, that's kind of what we have coming. So yeah, no, I don't think like that. And so I had the opportunity uh, to share a little bit by saying, well, I know what I deserve, so I put it on me. And I, I didn't you know, kind of confront him or anything. I just said, well, the way the psalmist thinks about it, the way that God said, you know, there's a Pharisee who prayed in uh, the temple and he was all, oh, I'm, I'm so together and I've got everything right and I tithe and uh, thankfully I'm not like that loser over there. And the tax collector was humbly just saying, I beg you for mercy have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all the tax collector was saying. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, right? And Jesus said, you want to know the loser in the story? The loser in the story is the, the, the wealthy guy, the self-righteous dude who thinks that he has the world by the tail and that he has everything coming to him because he deserves it. You know, so yeah, this guy knows, the psalmist knows what he would have coming Without the mercy of God, he says, I've sinned against you and as one who has sinned and is still sinning and will sin every day of my life, what I'm asking for is the only approach to God is mercy, right? So then he goes on in verse 3 and 4. You can follow along if you, O Lord, kept a record of these sins. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. Verses 2 and 3. So the psalmist is well aware of his great need for mercy because he's well in need, well aware of his great sins, right? Jesus is the one who said, you know, and it's an awareness of God's mercy and the greatness of your need that you love much. He who's been forgiven much loves much, and everybody's been forgiven a lot. So there should be this great uh, love uh, and response to God. And so he's aware his weeping has led him to some wondering, and he's pondering his plight. He says, if you are keeping records, if you're keeping track of my sins, God, I'm a dead man walking. So yeah, the dreaded list. His hunch is right. Oh, there is a list. Oh, there's a list on everybody. Of course, there has to be a list on everybody. God who created the eyes, he sees. And the one who created the ear, he hears, right? And if righteousness and justice is the foundation of his throne, you better know 
that there's going to be justice. And he has a list. It's extensive. And it's not just outward. The thoughts and the intentions inwardly are judged. Romans chapter 2 says, When the Lord appears, my God will judge the secrets of men's hearts. Even Jesus said there's a list. He said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every idle word they have ever spoken. He's saying every casual word will have to be given an account to to God. So of course he's got a list. He's got a list a mile long, longer than a mile, right? And so even at the end of the Bible, there in Re- uh, at the resurrection of the wicked, there in Revelation chapter 20, it says, and I quote, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded, recorded in the books. Oh, there's a list. See, here's the deal. He's got a list on everybody. But there are two different places he will use those lists and keep those lists, right? For a believer, we have a list. The list got nailed onto the cross where the sinless one became that sin and paid for those sins, past, present, and future. Oh, there's a list, but it's nailed to the cross and covered with the blood of the payment of the Son of the Most High God. The other list, well, for those who reject and unbelief the payment plan, well, there's justice. And he brings out the books and the list, and he says, pay up every single word you ever spoke, judged. And that's just the words. So yeah, there's a list. But he says, thankfully, for us who believe and trust and have come to you, a, a merciful God, benevolent father you're not going to count that list against us how could he he paid for them and the one judging has the proof of payment on his own body you see christ jesus is the judge and the one who paid for our crimes and so they're saying we don't even have to say anything in our defense there and so he says therefore you are to be feared yeah you think why would you fear him, he's saying. Well, he's, like, he's saying, God, you've got the list, and it's God's list. Pretty permanent, pretty accurate, and it's a long list. And with you, you have the ability to dismiss that list or charge us. You can forgive and pardon, or you can prosecute. Therefore, you should be feared, meaning respected. We should live in awe of, with holy reverence before God because he's got the list and it can condemn us and we, we would be, uh, it would be deserving, see? So he says, I mean, even Jesus says the same thought. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear the one who, after you've been killed, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear the one with the list, with the list who can prosecute. Revere him, live for him. 
Doesn't it make sense? Highly revere him, show him the utmost awe, you see. And so he says, and the good news is never pretty far away from the sobering news, right? He says, but with you there is forgiveness and we do fear in a healthy way. And alongside that fear comes this unspeakable joy this wonderful peace, a peace that passes understanding. Our hearts are at rest because his perfect love casts out all fear. And so this is what he's talking about. And so as he's wondering about all of this, he realizes he's got some waiting to do. So verses 5 and 6 I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. And so he's understanding that he has a place of submission. The answer's going to come. God has a saving plan. He keeps his promises, but uh, it's going to be a process, and he's okay with waiting. He's going to wait in a submitted way, as a servant looks to his master for what he needs that day. And so he's going to wait on him for the mercy for that day. He's going to wait on him for the wisdom to untangle something. He's going to wait on him for that all-sufficient grace to get through that current problem, right? And so this is what he's saying here. He, he knows the Lord isn't going to wave his proverbial uh, magic wand. Uh, you can get a fast pass, really, at the magic kingdom, but it doesn't work that way with the kingdom of heaven. It's a call to wait. We wait. Not our favorite thing to do, but a necessity if you're walking with God. So in one sense, one writer said this, in one sense, the supplicant, somebody who's asking God for something, who comes to God in faith, is immediately put right with him and made perfect in his sight. In another sense, we must now live out what is already, but not yet. So that's what it is, the already. When somebody comes to Christ, God saves them. There's a wonderful scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 that shows this uh, dichotomy, all right? Uh, the one line, uh, verse 14 in Hebrews chapter 10 says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So by one sacrifice, we're perfected forever in his sight. The end product is there. We're seated in heavenly places. But then he's making us holy. You see? And so, yeah, already, but not yet. It's kind of like uh, Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 2. He said, I want you to, you're saved now. God has made you holy, but I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that takes waiting. That is a process that happens every day. And we wait on him and cooperate with him every day, uh, looking to him and waiting and watching Watching and waiting, that's the call of our Christian lives. We don't like it. Uh, I was writing one of the devotionals on waiting, and uh, I recalled uh, seeing down the freeway right down here, it said, uh, 
blinking out, expect delays. And I rolled my eyes and I said, yeah, God, yes, I know the story of my life. Expect delays, you know? And so we modern Westerners, we're spoiled rotten, right? We want our, 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 our food microwaved and our Christian lives as well. We, we don't want to wait. We got fast computers, fast cars, uh, fast food, right? Last uh, couple weeks, I noticed that my internet had slowed down a whole three seconds, and it was consistent. Every single time I hit, hit enter, I, I would get, look, look how long it was. One, two, three. I couldn't take the suffering any longer. I cried out to whoever would listen. I can't live like this under these torturous conditions. Three seconds? What? Oh, how can I get anything done? So the psalmist says, I will wait on you to build the character, to align lives to get doors of opportunities in place. I will wait. I will not run ahead. I will not take a shortcut. I will wait on you. Coming out of the depths, man, you know, it's a process. Tough times and difficult people and strained relationships and dire circumstances, it takes a little time to resolve these things. You know, once in a while, it's beautiful when you'll pray something and bam, he does it right then and there. Those times are few and far between. Our, our lives, our, every other psalm is wait on the Lord. And uh, indeed, every other Bible character's whole life is a testimony of waiting patiently and walking with the Lord and looking to him. You know, it takes some time to, for the coal, a lump of coal to go to priceless diamonds, right? You want to rush things, you're going to get cubic zirconium. Is that how you say it, right? You're going to get something infinitely less valuable uh, when you rush through the process, right? And so the psalmist saying, others can run ahead, others just tapping their feet and can't wait for things, but I trust that your red light, your red light is saving me from a disaster, your red light is positioning me for a blessing, an out-of-this-world blessing. So I will gladly wait on you, eyes glued, my heart fixed, my hopes anchored in you. And notice in your text it says, what is he waiting? According to, his, to your word, I put my hope in your word. Here's what he's saying. I already know. He says, I know that your promise is coming to resolve this thing I've just prayed about that's causing me a bit of despair. So I'm waiting according to your word, putting, your, putting my hope in your word that this thing will work something good as you've promised. That provision will come. The grace will come. The wisdom will come. The heart change in that person will come. And it's usually the heart change in our own <laughs> lives, isn't it? Yeah, and so he says, I'm just glad to wait, no worries there. He says, uh, more than the watchman. He says, you know what? I will wait for you with more joy in my heart than those who wait for you for their job professionally. That's what they do. They're called watchmen. And so Israel had guards. Sometimes they were the priests 
and they would be on the walls looking out through the night for any kinds of dangers or threats or attacks of any kind. You know, the bad guys come out at night. They're called the sons of the night in the Bible. And so during the night they would look and then they were waiting on that dawn and the dawn would come right on time, every time. And so they'd see a little gleam of light and it would just start out soft and then it would come and there was no stopping it. This is what he's saying. I'm looking, I'm glued, I'm fixed on the little gleam of the resolve. The answer to this prayer has come and it comes like clockwork. It comes with the dawn. It comes right on time and I'm looking and glued and watching. I love what Peter said in his second epistle along these lines. He said, fix your hope on God's word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Waiting and watching, waiting and watching for a sign. And God gives those signs and he encourages us along the way. And so these thoughts, this happy waiting that he gets to do has brought him to the thought of worshiping. And that's how we finish up this morning here, a heart flooded with worship. Verses 7 and 8, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. The word redemption means to buy back. Something's been ruined. Uh, and, and, and you take this, and you, this thing and you restore it. He himself will redeem Israel, his people, and the church from all of their sins. And so from despair to delight, to delight, I should say, pain to praise. And how does that happen? And uh, what are there, four verses that separate the, the depths of despair from, oh, Israel, follow me. Isn't the Lord good? His unfailing love endures forever. What happened? Did he get up from his knees and, and everything just changed? Like God waved the magic wand and he's out of his troubles? No, he got up from his knees and he's still in the predicament. But what has changed is not his outward circumstances. It's his heart. It's his attitude. And now he's remembering, oh, you know, he's remembering, I'm in great despair, but I cried out to God and God always hears me. So there, you always hear me. You know I'm a sinner, but... You also are a savior and with you is forgiveness. And so I know the answer's on the way. So I'm waiting and watching, watching and waiting because it's coming. My eyes are glued on you with anticipation and hope. And then that brings him to say, hey, everybody, <laughs> you know, now he's gone from feeling sorry for himself and kind of all caught up in his own little world of woes. And now he's other centered because he's thinking about God. And he's had a, a heart change. He's had repentance. Repentance is just changing your mind about something. He's repented about how bad things are going for him. And he's remembered, oh yeah, I have a savior who offers me forgiveness. And he's got an answer coming. And, he, and, and I just have to wait patiently. Not, not, you know, in dismal fatalistic resignation, but we wait in hopeful anticipation 
a big difference. It's just not like, oh, well, I just have to wait. No. You're waiting like for the wow. Because the wow has to come. The word in the, for hope in the Bible is of a future reality that must come to pass. In English, when you say hope, it doesn't have to come to pass. I hope it doesn't rain on my birthday. Well, you may get it. You may not, right? But when the blessed hope or the hope that God has in his word for those who call on him, those, that hope has to come to pass. And that's why we wait for it with anticipation and joy. We're not very good at it, but we're getting better. Amen? I heard that, amen. I close with this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, listen, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order that you may make your hope sure. Verse 12 of Hebrews 6 says this, then you will not be sluggish, but will imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Through faith and patience, waiting and obedient and faithful, they inherit what has been promised them. That's the point of Psalm 130. And I just think of three guys. Joseph, 15 years he's waiting, slugging it out, disciplining himself, being obedient and faithful, guarding his heart from resentment, treated unfairly, strung along, just so hurt. But God made him some promises, didn't he? Gave him a dream, didn't he? And he waited patiently. And he preserved and he received. And then there was David, chased around, hunted down by a King Saul, who's a demonized crazy man, right? 13 years, 10 years hunted down there in the mountains. Unfair, hurtful, slander. God made him a promise. God made him a promise many years before that that he would be the king. Oh, when he was just a shepherd boy. Remember, he came in from his father's flocks and it's like, uh, you know, nobody even thought it. he was in the running. And, and, and the Lord told Samuel, that's the guy. And he anointed him right there. Just a teenager, gave him a promise, but it was a long time in coming, waiting and watching and, and obeying and listening and being faithful. And he inherited the promise. And then finally, Abraham. Abraham still, man, we got to change your name from the father, uh, exalted father, Abram, to father of the multitudes, Abraham, right? Which was a big joke because his wife couldn't have kids, neither could he, he was too old and all of that. 25 years after the Lord said, hey, cheer up. You're going to have a boy. And then from that boy, I'm going to make a nation, right? Without wavering in his faith, Romans chapter 4, Abraham waited and watched and walked with God and believed. And he inherited what was promised. So we too. Oh, we're, we've, we've seen some tough times. 
a lot of us. And right now, there's a lot of stress and strain. And he says, listen, I hear you. The answer's coming. I want you to wait patiently and watch and open your hearts and remember my unfailing love. And then soon, you will be encouraging those around you. Hey, everyone, let's put our hope in God because his unfailing love never fails. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your unfailing love. We thank you, Father, for your patience with us. None of us are good at this. We are reminded of that every time we read, but you are so good and kind. We confess, God, that we hate to wait and we get wrapped up in our own despair. We forget about you and we're not always obedient and faithful during those times of stress, but we want to be. So help us, God. We just change our hearts and kind of we, we repent of that. God, make us good waiters and watchers. Let us leave the despair, the depths of despair, and climb out by faith and put our hope in your word to wait with glad anticipation and to receive and inherit that which you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 